Hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. This is a special bonus episode. Why a bonus episode? Because I'm on holiday. My wife and I managed to escape, and as you listen to this, if you're listening to it, you know, within a few weeks of it being released, I'll be lying on a beach, we will be lying on a beach, or I suppose holed up in a forest in Finland. So we are just taking a little break, a year of foster care, and my wife turning 40 provided the excuse for us to get away. Many thanks to you all for giving me permission. If you are the kind of person who gave me permission to take a break, thank you. And if you're not, too bad. So, Trifina and I agreed to do for this episode was to release the B-side for the Bridget Eileen Rivera interview. You may recall, if you're a regular listener, that the B-sides are now available for every new episode going forward. They're going to be on the main feed. So, the first was our interview with Kevin Sweeney about mystics, mushrooms, and the power of letting go. That was episode 128. Then episode 128B came out. That was the most recent episode on the feed where Trifina and I unpacked that conversation and went into greater depth. And so this would normally be scheduled to be an interview. But again, because I'm away, we decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make the B-side for the prior, prior interview with Bridget Eileen Rivera, all about the heavy burdens that LGBTQ folks are forced to carry as they try to engage with church life. So this is that B-side. Some of you asked for it, and I'm uh, pleased and honored to offer it. Have a listen. See if this stirs hopeful things in you. And drop us a line. So we, I, there was a little delay here, but I, we, I recorded this interview with Bridget Eileen Rivera. That that itself was delayed. We, I got COVID. There was a whole thing. Anyway, <laughs> uh, this is life right now. Everything's is just delayed. But people have been asking, my friend. People have been asking. People have been saying, "You better be doing a B side for <laughs> that interview because I want to hear the behind the scenes story." Uh, sure which I think boils down to, we notice that you have not discussed LGBTQ matters publicly on your podcast in three mm-hmm. years while everybody else has. Why now? Well, this is my question. So one, the interview was phenomenal. Like I love her and her heart and just like, she's someone I can just listen to so easily. Yeah. Um, but two, I was listening and I'm like, Jonathan hasn't gone here yet. And then you open with talking about your dad, mm-hmm. which I was like, you haven't really done that publicly. So how did like, what brought along that journey for you? How did that feel for you to go there? Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was kind of a, it was good. It was really kind of a relief. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's been, it's been a journey for so many different reasons, right? Like my father came out when I was 18 mm-hmm. and I mean, I was just becoming an adult and then my parents separated like immediately. And, and then I got married a year and a half later. And so, uh, moving out of, I didn't even get to move out of my parents' house because suddenly I had to move out of my, oh, I didn't have to, but suddenly it was my mother's, my single mother's house that I was moving out of, which I was still wrapping my head around. Plus I'm like, an independently minded eldest born who's already sort of got his sights on the horizon. There's a lot of layers to that, as you can imagine. And anyone who's, 
you know, listening with separated or divorced parents, you know, I, I'm still unpacking baggage just from the fact that my parents are divorced. And I find, especially on Christmas and Easter, I long for a home and a hearth that does not exist in this world anymore. Mm-hmm. And that upsets me. Yeah. So there's a lot of layers to that. Um, but you know what? It was really interesting. I, again, okay. I love, I love Bridget. I love where she's mm-hmm. coming from. I've been reading her blog for a few years and I was so, um, I think I was so captivated by her gentleness to mm-hmm. people that are struggling, mm-hmm. her strength and tenacity to those who are not struggling but would judge others her mm. her informedness like she's a sociologist and is trained and is training and brings all this wealth of knowledge and research to the table and her own like really humble and kind of unique not unique but you know rare voice within this space where she is um feels very, very much of the spirit to live yeah. a celibate life, but does, but it categorically does not put that on anybody, mm-hmm. but encourages everybody to listen to the spirit yeah, and to search scripture and to uh, be true to what they feel God is doing in them and their life and community and all of that. And, and I think even um, when I first heard she had a book coming out, I DM'd her on Twitter and I said, I, I knew right away, I'm like, this is the person I want to have this conversation with publicly. Mm-hmm. So that was in my head probably about a, a year and a half ago. Okay. And it took a while, you know, book publishing process is slow, but I could go back through my DMs because I swear it was a, oh, well over a year ago that that she had announced that her book was coming out, Heavy Burdens. And I was like, even just from the title and from the get-go, I was like, this is the conversation I want to have. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, the slow wheels of the publishing process turn and, and then eventually we, we made it happen. But then that conversation with Jerry, my father's partner, happened yeah. after I had already decided I wanted to interview Bridget. And then... It was the it was a few months after that, right? That that Jerry and I were on the beach and and like driving home from that trip uh, for hours, like road trip with the family. Maya and I were talking about about this. I, I re- retold the conversation, and she, you know, I mean, you know this with Maya, and I don't know with listeners if you have any Enneagram eights in your life, but eights have this um, soft spot mm. for. Uh, victims of injustice Mm -hmm. and if you get an eight to talk about indigenous children being taken from their homes or any given topic that where there is a core injustice Mm -hmm. child marriage human trafficking you will undoubtedly find a space where suddenly this hard strong eight um is broken and uh, tears come. At least that's my experience with my wife. <laughs> I feel like that like encompasses Maya in like a sentence. It's like, yeah, she's the strength, but the empathy. 
And then, yeah, and the Enneagram wisdom teaches that, and Mm -hmm. that eights experienced injustice Mm -hmm. in a core wounding way themselves in their childhood, in their formative years. And so as a result, they had to grow up and become the adult and the protector, but they are now highly motivated towards especially children experiencing injustice. Hmm. And that's a beautiful gift. Um, So praise God for eights. And Mm -hmm. uh, let's shift some of that narrative that eights are all bossy bitches (laughs) because it's not true. No, at all. So anyway. uh, Back to the car ride. (laughs) That was to say, thank you. That was to say in the car (laughs) ride. um, I retold this conversation about, about, faithful jesus loving gay people who and even even to say that is to say people who have wrestled and submitted their sexuality to god for decades for mm-hmm. decades man like how how many years have you spent submitting your sexuality to god that's right. not to, that's not to touch on trauma but just in terms yep. of your orientation like zero. Yeah, zero. When she, yeah. Right. Sorry, go on. No, mm-hmm. and so, so to say, you know, these are people who, who, who by and large have spent great effort travailing before the Lord, mm-hmm. kicked out of churches, mm-hmm. and and not just kicked out of churches, but even actually, I was having this conversation with my mother uh, recently, and she said the very first first time that she met a person who. Uh, said that they were gay and a Christian, but it might've even been the first person she met who was gay as like an 18 year old. Mm-hmm. She was sitting in some cafe and this guy um, overheard a conversation she was having with her girlfriend. And basically he, he, he just opened up and told her this story, how he had been, uh, he came out to his church somewhere in Australia and they kicked him out of the church. And then he moved to New Zealand to try and escape and start a new life. And they came and found him and found his church and outed him to the eldership of the church that he was now at. And this kind of story is common. The number of people, Trafina, that have DM'd me in response to that podcast, um, people who, people who I guess are in spaces where they, where this conversation is not happening. Mm -hmm. And some of them have, have been like, I'm trying to write to you right now. And I'm, and I'm gasping for breath. I've never been able to write with anybody about this. Yeah. But this is how I was hunted by the the first church that I came out to. This is how I was pursued by these people who felt it was their duty to protect somehow, you know, in some misguided fashion. Oh, like, sorry, totally like a digression. But when you use the word pursue, like I associate, like I want to be pursued by love. I want like my partner to pursue me. I, I, we believe we're being pursued by like the love of God constantly. So when we talk about pursuit, but you're hunting somebody down, like, when do you know Jesus to hunt somebody down? Like, how does that even fit it? Like, how does that become our framework? Right. I don't know. And and, and that like, and then, and then that, that hunter Mm -hmm. claims the the humble, faithful gay person is the wolf in sheep's clothing. When you are literally hunting the flock and consuming them and destroying their life. 
Okay. So there's a lot in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot in me. So when, when, when Jerry said, we can't find faith, we can't find churches. We can't find churches that teach the gospel. We can't find churches that teach the gospel and make room for this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and what, what Bridget said, like, uh, you know, we're not even talking about like much theology. We're saying like, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yeah. Do you preach Christ and Christ crucified? There's a whole lot of room for discussion on everything else. But Absolutely. the fact that they that people are often struggling to even find a group that will say, yeah, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. Like, let's figure out the details. But like, Jesus is the son of God and is, yeah. you know, and like, let's hold like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles Creed or anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah, that, that really set me off. And I think that was like enough. I'm mad. This is wrong. This is unjust. It's time. Mm-hmm. And then honestly, the, that I think I was already prepared to, to do the thing. But what really um, set me off and pushed me over beyond beyond that was in the introduction when she shares a suicide rate. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, when basically it is you you can it is it is beyond it is beyond like discussion mm-hmm. or or analysis. Like the sheer fact is that uh, people are more likely. Straight people, mm-hmm. when straight people engage with faith communities, their risk of suicide decreases. Yeah, that's good news. Church and uh, faith, spirituality are a life-giving mm-hmm. factor for Absolutely. most people. Straight people, hooray! For LGBTQ folks, it is the opposite. The mm-hmm. rate of suicide measurably and uh, and dramatically increases the more that they increase their engagement with faith communities. Mm. And that I just like, even just against to say that makes me just want to like, f- like flip tables in the temple, man. Like Absolutely. I, the rage and the, uh, the evil of that yeah. is really what, what pushed me to be like, okay, enough, enough of enough not enough. talking about this yeah. enough of trying Ugh. The thing is, Trifina, that that so many of my and I didn't even I think realize this until I did this episode and people and people wrote to me like out of the woodwork. I've probably had more private engagement on this subject than almost anything I've done, except yeah. some of the trauma stuff. Yeah. A lot of my listeners operate in much more conservative spaces, mm-hmm. and and I operate as you know, and we you know we both do to different degrees. We we operate in a variety of spaces yeah you know what that's like and so you know trying in a sense to be all things to all people to be sensitive to the audience to to serve the the listener Mm -hmm. whoever that is well right like that's my local church congregation and their and their immediate discipleship needs that's um the listeners to my podcast which are hugely broad and varied that's our children that's all these different groups mm-hmm. and a lot of the folks i've learned who listen to the podcast are in more conservative spaces and so they are often looking for encouragement and hope and tools and tactics mm-hmm. and strategies of how mm-hmm. to operate in those spaces with integrity while also hopefully being forces of change in their local groups so I pastor within a denomination that does not believe there is a conversation to be had on this subject. Mm -hmm. I believe scripture clearly condemns it 
and that the it being homosexual attraction and that God created the male and female. So there's no conversation to be had around uh, uh, transgenderism or even just queerness. Mm-hmm. And um, they wouldn't probably even acknowledge the reality of asexuality because um, again, we're all just essentially sex crazed evangelicals at the base of our theology here. And yeah, so all that's going on mm-hmm. pastor in this space. Now my particular church, uh, all the churches within our movement are autonomous. So we have a degree of freedom of how we, how we deal with certain things. And as a community, we reflect a broad range of viewpoints. Mm-hmm. I also have a gay dad. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, that's actually the first and most important thing to me. Yeah. And, and that, that's really why I haven't talked about it. It's not really because of, it's not really because of um, fear of church or just, or any of that kind of stuff or, or, or saying the wrong thing to, to any like stakeholders as such yeah. as it's like my own father is one of the most important relationships in my life. And, Absolutely. uh, as I've shared a little bit on the show and, and I shared more on um, Sarah Westfall's not my story podcast. My relationship with my dad was really broken for a long time and God like miraculously over a period of years mm. restored that relationship to the point where like my dad and like, we were just chatting on the phone this morning. He lives like in New Brunswick. We, we have the best relationship we've ever had. I love that. And so nothing is worth um, risking that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that just gave me pause to say, okay, this has got to be done well yeah. and loving to all parties. And it wasn't, I think, until I read Bridget's book and went through her approach that I said, okay, this to me looks like a path forward that can be loving to all parties. A hundred percent. I love that. And this is like one of the things I've respected about how you've engaged with the conversation so far where relationship has always been at the forefront of everything, right? And so- I don't know. I think it's also incredibly significant that your dad himself went a little bit more public with his story this year, which was just profound and beautiful. That was wild to me. I didn't, I I knew that was coming like uh, maybe a week before it came. (laughs) Like I had a little bit of a heads up, but I had no idea of, of, of the, you know, that that would be happening at a broad sense. And I learned so much reading my dad's story. Yeah. There was aspects of his upbringing. I mean, when do you sit down and like ask your parents for their bio? Oh my goodness. I feel like if I'm with my parents, my kids are present. And then, so it's just like, it's not about me anymore. Anyways, that's a digression. Um, yeah, it was beautiful. You're right. Cause when do you get to hear their bio from start to where they are now? And, and especially on like those issues, like painful, yeah. like when yeah. I was 19 and you know, the, like, Oh, the first time I can contemplated suicide or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that was special. That was interesting. That was that. Yeah. There was a whole thing on Facebook um, mm-hmm. where my where my dad's story was shared, and some well-meaning friends, a whole kind of group of well-meaning friends, um, some were like shocked and horrified that that some of these things had happened in the church that we all grew up in. They didn't know the way the church had responded to my dad. They didn't, they didn't mm. realize that, that the kind of conversion therapy approach was happening within the church that we all grew up in. Others who'd seen, you know, the fallout of my father's coming out 
as as pain from my mother and their divorce mm-hmm. felt like, well, this is only part of the story. You know, what church is realistically going to help a man leave his wife and children, regardless of whatever the issues are? You know, I mean, as long as it's not like female on male spousal abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this whole conversation happening on Twitter that I just like, on Facebook rather, that I got to sit in and read in third party. And it was so weird. And I thought for, for a sliver, I'm like, oh, have I done this mm-hmm. to people of color? Have I done this to indigenous people? Mm-hmm. Have I been doing this for years, talking authoritatively, mm-hmm. even when trying to come from a place of compassion mm-hmm. and centering myself in a conversation? And that was very, very interesting uh-huh. to kind of, for the very first time, be an observer to a public conversation about me and my family. Yeah. Um, so I ended up just posting a gif of <laughs> popcorn. because I love, <laughs> I love that that's your response to this. Um, okay. But I think that's so interesting, right? Like how we center ourselves in this conversation still. Right. Like, so myself as like a straight woman, I feel like, or even in the church, we're continuing to center ourselves on what I thought was so significant. One of the many things that Bridget talked about when she talked about how so many people who are gay, who are LGBTQ, um, are like, they're seminary scholars in terms of scripture and what God is saying. And they have spent time discerning with Holy spirit. And like, they have really wrestled and grappled with this. And yet, so when you asked her, so how do we, as the church just do better. Like give us some handholds moving forward. And she's like, well, I would just like the space for them to be valued, like for their journeys to be valued. And how often are we in churches having these conversations and they're not even part of it, right? Like they don't even have the agency to be at the table. And I'm like, what are we doing where your voice and your experience is so invalidated that we can't look at you as the Imago Dei, as like the representation of God on earth, right? And as like someone who carries the image of Christ in them. And we can't honor that in you. Instead, we're going to look at you and we're going to look at you through this like lens of, I don't know, I hate that we continue to do this, but like this lens of sin. And that's all we're going to see in you, which itself is, well, that's a whole other conversation, the problems there. But I just loved how she continued to talk about honoring the individual. Yeah. 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 It's there's so many. Yeah. I, I agree completely. I got a couple of nasty comments. Um, you know, no surprises. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think it was again illuminating. It illuminated an issue that exists well beyond this, well beyond the realm of LGBTQ conversation. Whenever anybody seems to say something that we disagree with, mm-hmm. if you have been raised with a biblical, like biblical plumb line, let's say, mm-hmm. what anybody says is, well, that might be interesting, but I just can't throw out the Bible. And they say that in 101 different ways, often just by quoting, like quoting a proof text with no context. But it's fascinating to me that our immediate reaction, and I say our because I'm trying to use kind and inclusive language rather than yep. othering people. Absolutely. And I've and I have been there myself. Um, it's fascinating to me that 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 our immediate reaction is to assume that 
that the other person doesn't value scripture. Mm-hmm. Like that's so judgmental. Like that's mm-hmm. so judgmental. And and I and I have been guilty of this. Mm-hmm. I've been guilty of this. Um, I have trained myself now. I, I mean, I've trained myself now to to ask the question, huh, that's interesting. How do you interpret the following passages in light of what you've just shared? I would like to hear your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually just don't even use that kind of questioning anymore. I've moved it to a different space, but that, but I feel like that would, that was an improvement in my, so in my yeah. journey. And, and I have had one or two people who've been like, okay, I'm, I'm interested, but I'm cautious. Can you mm-hmm. walk me through this? Um, I haven't had many. I think most people have either been like, this was great. I, I can sense the compassion and the empathy. You're right. We need to do better. And then a, a vocal minority uh, have just, attacked and lambasted and basically said, yeah, well, we can't throw out the Bible. And I'm like, have you listened mm-hmm. to Bridget? Cause she, cause if there's one thing she's doing with the Bible, it's not throwing it out. Mm-hmm. And, and again, the same would be applied to most LGBTQ Christians. Because again, if we're talking like, like these are not Christians who've, who've come out of liberal establishments mm-hmm. to tell us about their hardships. No, that is not the case, right? These are Christians who have been raised in uh, Baptist, mm-hmm. Southern Baptist, evangelical Bible faiths mm-hmm. and uh, expressions of the faith, and and have and have fa- and have had to wrestle with these things. So yeah, I, I feel like we've just got to do so much better than even just on the simple fact of like, well, I just can't throw out scripture. Okay. Let's do better than that. Yeah. How do you, what do you do with, with passages in Corinthians and Timothy when Paul seems to condemn homosexuality? What do we do with that? Like wrestle with that. Be honest with that. If that's, if that's your fear, if that's your concern, be honest. And let's see some of the ways that people have wrestled with that and have learned things about that. And let's read the scholarship on those passages because like we've had to do this. Like, okay, I, I know I'm talking a lot, but this is I love it. Go. The, the thing that I, like, I grew up, as you know, in the very much charismatic thing, right? And mm-hmm. so one of the really trippy things that happens in the charismatic space is this, like, well, the spirit told me this. And so that's what I'm going to go and do. And so you have people that have been taught to prophesy or taught to hear God's voice. And they just kind of will run off and follow the Holy spirit in weird directions. And then let's say you're coming from a a more biblical tradition. I have a lot of reformed friends who may may or may not be cessationist, but will look at at the Holy spirit crowd and say, that's really troubling, uh, troubling. That's really problematic. You guys need to remember that the Holy spirit will never tell us to do something contrary to scripture. Mm-hmm. And I would say, yes, I agree. Uh, we need scripture, but scripture includes stories of the Holy Spirit telling people things contrary to their understanding of scripture. Mm-hmm. And that's not me trying to create a weird loophole. That's, like early in the in the spreading of the gospel 
Peter is going to a Greek's house who, according to all of Peter's Jewish upbringing, cannot have the Holy Spirit, is the wrong ethnic group, cannot be an inheritor of the promise of God. Mm -hmm. And Peter has a dream, like falls into a trance. Like I would like you to, to like cite that in a paper, right? Like, oh, the spirit revealed this to me in a trance. Like Peter falls into a trance and has a dream where all this food comes down on a sheet that's unclean according to Levitical and Deuteronomy. Yeah. Okay. And the voice says, eat. And Peter says, hells to the no, because I'm a good Jewish boy and I'm not going to eat any of this unclean food. And the voice says, do not call unclean what Mm. I have made clean. And Peter's like, what do I? eh." And And he visits Cornelius and he sees all the fruit of the spirit active in this man's life. And it fundamentally alters Peter's understanding of scripture. And now his eyes are opened to see things in scripture that he had not seen before. Peter doesn't throw out his scripture and cease to be a messianic Jew. He doesn't. It just opens his eyes to see a a grander story and to move beyond certain boundaries and frames of reference that he had been given for scripture mm-hmm. you know and so i mean i, I feel like uh, there's an invitation to be honest with those kinds of things i think i think you're totally right and i think it's interesting to me how we can do that with every other part of scripture right like how often mm-hmm. do you sit and listen to a conversation or a sermon it's like well when you look in the actual greek or when you look in the hebrew let's talk about the context let's talk about the language but there's certain verses that we've not given that same value to and like let's and so I think we can even look at Jesus right where Jesus says like you've heard it said but I say to you this and like so Jesus has precedence of reframing things and of allowing Holy Spirit to lead and I think like there is value to like Holy Spirit's not going to call you in like to, to go against something in line with the essence of scripture, right? Like I'm very careful to be like, Jesus is the perfect representation of God. And so if this doesn't align with how Jesus's character walked on the earth, then I'm like, I'm hesitant in my own spirit of like, well, like how does that play out, right? And I think I can respect wanting to build parameters to for safeguarding, but I think then when we build parameters, we build walls. And so I don't know, I will be fully honest, like to you and to like our listeners, like, I I still wrestle with the walking out um, of what that looks like. And not just in this area of my life, in so many areas of my life. Like, I think I grew up in purity culture where it's like, you set the boundary line so far back so you don't fall off the cliff versus like, can I trust my, my own journey? And can I trust Holy Spirit that I can go to the cliff and love people well, wherever I am. Right. I think if that's the essence of how, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm, yeah. But I think, yeah, I think, I think you're on to something really, right? Like we have been taught to run away from the cliff. Yeah. But the reality is like, if we think of the cliff as like a chasm where all kinds of people have fallen down and, and are begging for help and love and yeah, care and healing up, then how do we find them unless we're sitting on the edge, reaching down and pulling people up? Isn't there which, like, 
Oh, sorry. Go on. No, I mean, I, I, I recognize even saying that, that that does have this kind of sound of like this, like authoritative, like I am here to heal you. Absolutely. And I'm not trying to put like a savior complex right. on it, but if Jesus, like Jesus left the 99 to get the one, I'm not saying like, this is, this, I'm digressing here. This is going in the wrong direction. Cause I, but it's just that space of like, if I'm fully honest, like even starting this conversation, um, and starting my own journey of like, okay, so I'm going to unpack and I'm going to like actually truly go back and look at what I've learned and distill what truth is in this is terrifying because it shattered so much of my foundation. I had taught myself, I I had been like, that was what I had learned to live on the other side of the cliff. Anyways. Um, Well, and that's the thing. And that's, that's what I again found was so illuminating and again, not very surprising, when I posted the interview and I and I made comments like, "Too many churches, families, ministries, whatever, do not believe there's even a conversation to be had on this subject," yeah. and the, the and many people, the majority of people responded uh, positively and welcoming to that, but there were examples of people who lashed out. Yeah, and. And again, when we say things like, can we have a conversation about mm-hmm. all they seem to be able to hear is we've decided a, there's a better way to be faithful. And I'm just now telling you authoritatively that you have a problem. Yeah. Right. And so when I say, let's have a conversation, like, okay, if I sit down with my wife and I'm like, hey, can we have a conversation about something? She's not going to say oh, fine, let's get a divorce. Like, I can't have anything to do with you. Mm-mm. She's like, sure, husband. Like, what is on your heart? Like, m- maybe that, maybe I feel nervous to hear that because maybe that implies that we need to, to, something isn't working well and we need to do some mm-hmm. hard work. Sure, I can have a measure of trepidation about what that conversation means. Please, friends, never send me a text and say, can we have a hard conversation about something? Because I will freak out. No, I won't, I'm kidding. Like, that's a fine thing to do. That's a good thing to do. You should do that. But um, but yeah, it's it's very troubling to mm-hmm. me that uh, that too many people can't even sit down and say, okay, are you, are you aware that there are people in your church who are yeah. unsafe in your presence? Yeah, like uh, I'm aware of people who've who've left our church mm-hmm. because of statements made publicly by other leaders in our movement, mm-hmm. and they're like, my child is not safe in this church. No, same, and that's devastating. Yeah. Okay. So here's what, like two, th- like, sorry, lots of thoughts here. Right. One, I like, I've experienced different traumas in my life. We all have. And those itself have caused me to like, they've caused crises of faith. Right. So the fact to me that already, like we have an entire group of people who have been like traumatized and hurt by the church over and over again, who continue to seek Jesus. Right. Mm. So going back a little bit, talking about like not being able to find a theologically safe space to me already. Can we, can we just like honor and respect that? Right. Yes. Because me as like a straight woman, I'm so quick. Like it's, it's taken work to be like, I am going to be faithful in the hard times. Right. Also here's where, here's where I struggle. Okay. Cause I look at these the suicide rates and I don't even, I think it was like 38% increase. Right. If you are 
um, an LGBTQ individual within a church that your suicide, your chances of suicide go up, which is atrocious. So to me, I'm like, this is now a human, not now, it always was. This is a human rights issue. However, and so I, and I genuinely believe that like as a person who like wants to love people, I've studied sociology, like this is my, like, this is a human rights issue. Also though, I have been on the other side, right? Like in the sense of like, I have had to grapple with my faith and scripture around these conversations. And so then I have so much grace and empathy for people who are asking the hard, who are willing to ask the hard conversations and are like, but no, this is me being faithful. Where like, I just, I can't see scripture in a different light. Hmm. Um, does it cause anger and pain in me? Absolutely. But I have empathy because I've been there. So then even like you and I have had these conversations of what does it look like to live in relationship with people who have different values than you? When to me, I'm like, it's a human rights issue. Right. Right. So like, even like as a woman of color, like you come after me or another person of color or my kids and like, I'm going to lose it. I do lose it. And I want to have that same tenacity for every people group, but also like, what does this look like in the church? Like we, and you and I've talked about this, like there's a church within our area that I feel like even in their statement of faith have done this really well, where like, we are going to be an umbrella for people with all theological perspectives and values, but we're going to still love people well. And that sounds beautiful, but I don't know how that actually plays out. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Yeah, I asked the same question. Like, but we, we're we again we're 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 trying to live with that in our community and say like how do we how do we do this? Now it bring it brings up all these different difficulties, right? Because um, because as soon as you say that to somebody who is less interested in the conversation, they will typically and hear what you're saying is. Well, love just sounds like some kind of like squishy niceness, right? Mm-hmm. Like love just means like we, you know, oh, you come as you are and stay as you are. I'm like, uh, if that's the kind of love that your marriage is defined by, I'm troubled about your marriage, friend. Because like, as far as I've experienced love, it is costly and transformative. Mm-hmm. So uh, come here and I will costly love you. And you will be transformed into who knows what. And I will be transformed into who knows what. And hopefully together, we will find a beautiful, painful way forward as costly lovers. And God will continue to pour out his love in us and transform us into whatever he wants to transform us into. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we don't even know what it means to love. Or like, we can't even get on the same page about what love actually is as a definition. Yeah. And, and then how to implement that in practice. I think it's got to be messy. So messy. I think it's, it's got to be awkward to a certain degree, right? Like, I mean, I, I hate awkward. I hate conflict. Yeah. I would much rather build a walled garden of people that I agree with. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying really. And then, but but I, I recognize for me, that comes from my own sense of value being tied to people agreeing with me. And so when when we have a range of opinions, Jonathan Puddle gets nervous about whether he is loved. That's me. 
So I, okay. So Jonathan can actually see me right now and I'm literally hiding in my She's hiding her face. In her I'm hoodie. like, I, I, I'm like actively working on not disassociating in this conversation because that's where Trifina goes. Yeah. Right. I'm like, okay, so this is such a big conversation and I don't want to mess it up, but also I don't want people to not like me, which I'm like, I, I'm actively having this conversation with myself where I'm like, why is this what it comes down to? Like, this is like me centering myself in this conversation again. And anyways, someone posted hard. Jonathan Martin. Actually, it was Nicole Martin, his okay. fiance, not, not Martin. Sorry. Nicole Nelson. Excuse me. Nicole Nelson posted this comic mm-hmm. and said, Jonathan, this is so Jonathan Martin. And, and I DM them both. I'm like, yeah. And Jonathan Puddle. And clearly Trefina and there's these dinosaurs and one of them says to the other one you know I, what I say to the haters and he's like what do you say what do you say to the haters and he said you know what I say to the haters I say don't hate me I'm really nice <laughs> <laughs> oh okay so which is so true right if you're actually able to get some to know somebody there's so much beauty and I think we all often have more commonality than not but okay so Mar- um I was listening to a story recently. I think it was on another podcast and they were talking about doing church in situations where you're going to have differing opinions. Okay. So the, specifically they were speaking around the race, com- race conversation and um, heightened racism in the last few years in, in North America. And so this was specifically after George Floyd's murder and they were in a small group and it was this beautiful small group um, discussion and for like, and many of the people in the small group were also police officers. And so the small, so you had police officers, you had people of color, you had like just this amazing gamut. And for years, they journeyed together. I apologize if I'm butchering the story. So for years, they had journeyed together and they had prayed for each other. So for these police officers who were on the front line and were um, experiencing trauma, they had cared for each other and loved them and prayed, upheld them after George Floyd was murdered. So then a lot of the men of color, the men who were black in that group were sharing their experiences and their stories and their true experiences of what had happened with other police officers and law enforcement. And so one of the police officers was like, I can't be here anymore and left the small group and left the church and was like, I can't like be witness to this. And so the pastor called them, called this person and was like, no, like we have sat here and journeyed with you and your traumas and you cannot sit and listen to our realities and our traumas. And it's like, okay, so I know this is messy and I know that it's complicated and there's no, like, here's the one way we're going to fix it all, but this is the body of Christ. And so if we can't sit and actually hear people's truths, truths that may be opposing truths that are actually hurtful to each other. And we can't uphold and love authentically, um, and get to know, then there is not going to be any change. And how are we any different from the rest of the world? Like, what is the point of this? Right. Right. Um, And it just stuck with me on one, like the conversation of race, but one on like the conversation of sexuality and LGBTQIA, like plus community and just realizing, okay, so we need to find a way to Sorry, you know what? I remember I was going to say we need to be, find a way to be in, this, in the same room together, but I think maybe that is more true for me as a straight woman than as a person who is gay or queer, because I would also to them then say, like you. I'm so sorry. You haven't these haven't been safe places for you to be in. Absolutely. So why should you have to be here and like experience more trauma? But it's time for us, as these straight individuals, to stand up and be like, no more. Yeah, it's beautifully put. I love that. That story is really cool. I I don't want to be the pastor on the phone call 
saying, yeah. Hey, I watched this thing and you're, uh, you're wimping out, son, come back. That to me is the, the worst phone call <laughs> because again, of my conflict aversion. And yet I want, I want to be the kind of community that is doing that. Yeah. I want to be the kind of, I want to be the kind of family that is doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huh. That's so interesting. I don't know. I don't know how we get there beyond just like the listening and the compassion of paying attention. You know, like we were talking about with Kevin Sweeney. I'm like, how do we foster this in people? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't mm. know if we even can. Like, and and I don't, like, I didn't feel like a cop-out. No, it doesn't I, at all. Like, that might sound to some like a cop-out, but I feel like anyone who's had boots on the ground posturing for like more than six months, it's like you can't, and in fact, shouldn't be trying to change people. You can only, in the words of Eugene Peterson, Mm. your your one job is to help people bring their focus back on god yeah that's it i love that which which i think was really again to bridget um if john piper who -hmm. believes that divorce remarriage after divorce is adulterous sin personally believes that if he can say but I'm going to make room at the table for people who believe differently about marriage and remarriage after divorce. Mm-hmm. Can, can, can the whole church not create room to say, okay, some at this table might believe that any kind of homosexual engagement is sinful, but, but they are also willing to say, we recognize that other people don't agree and are faithful. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to make this a dangerous place for you. Like, th- th- like that's the next question, okay, yeah. for John Piper. What is what does his conversations look like? Does he sit there with his friends, being like, "Yeah, but you know, you guys are wrong." Mm-hmm. Like, that wouldn't be a safe place. Or, or does he wisely not talk about that in mixed company? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's just Piper. And I know he's yeah. obviously a firebrand and all kinds of people who don't like John Piper. I get that. But again, there's uh, something about humility mm-hmm. and, um, oh yeah. So the, the, so somebody, somebody had written to me and, and, and basically was like, I'm concerned by this. And, um, and so we had, a, we had some dialogue back and forth and it was very respectful. And, uh, and I shared with this person what I will share here with you that one of the things that caused me to reevaluate my historical stance was being in relationship with gay people, Mm -hmm. having friends who were gay, my father included, but not exclusively and watching them pursue God over decades and seeing all the fruit of the spirit in their life. And I'm sitting here with a particular way of understanding scripture and of interpreting certain passages and believing category, what, which different categories of sin. And I'm also got people that I'm in friendship with close enough to see the fruit in their life, close enough to know their integrity and close enough to see that I can't discern 
what I would call sin in their life beyond the ways that we all fall short of love like every day. And I'm just like, if I'm meant to discern here, spirit, you're giving me nothing. Mm -hmm. And so should that, should that be the sole basis of your doctrinal framework? Probably not. But should that inform the way that you love your friends, those friends, probably. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe there's a cascade effect as that ripples out and multiplies. Mm. I mean, that's, I think that's what happens, right? When we hear someone's story. I think. And, and believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Like if someone is willing to share their story with you, that has taken so much courage that we're going to like start with the space of, I'm going to trust you. We say this all the time, but we're going to start from a space of believing women. And I think the same is true. Um, I think it's so powerful to talk about story. Just like a thought that came to mind that I feel compelled to talk about for a sec. Um, And I can only speak from my own existence, right? And I don't know how many times I've said it, but like as a woman of color, so part, I am very aware that there is a disproportionate amount of individuals in my community who will struggle with being affirming and being loving. Um, And so when I was teaching in Toronto, I remember like the TDSB had a whole initiative or has had many initiatives around um, creating space. Like That's safe the safety. Toronto District School Sorry. Board. Sorry. Thank you. The right. Toronto District School Board where I taught. So they had an initiative at, to create safe spaces. And part of it was parent education. And I was working in a school that was predominantly people of color and children of color and staff of color. And the staff were like vehemently opposed to this. They're like, we cannot indoctrinate children. And in conversation, what kept coming up was, well, as 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 people of color who have been traumatized and oppressed for so many years haven't received a place where we are fully accepted as you know equals how are we then supposed to go and fight for others mm-hmm. to, right and i'm like i i am like i'm putting words in their mouths a little bit in terms of like i'm just bottom lining like a much bigger conversation um And I couldn't have come to a place where I had empathy and grace if I hadn't listened to their story of why they were so opposed, right? And the hurt and the pain and their own traumas that they had to unpack before they were able to go and do likewise for someone else. And I think that's so, like, even when I was listening to Bridget talk about her pain of wondering if she was a vessel of wrath, because that's all that she had taught, like been taught. Mm -hmm that's a significant trauma, right? Like as a young child to understand that if you are gay, it's God using you as a vessel of wrath. And I mean, like that God created you, created you. Yeah. To destroy you and thereby demonstrate his glory. Yeah. That's, that's vile. It is, but we get, we get taught this all the time, right? Like God is going to use your pain and it just, to me, it breaks down like the image, like just the understanding of what I have as a parent um, and who I understand like the parent heart of God to be, but that's a whole other conversation. But I think that's a trauma. That's an attachment wound in your own spirit. And so if you have that and you're not able to unpack that, how are you then able to even go forward and 
redefine your understanding of love or all of, or like the conversations. Like, I think so much of you being able to listen to your friend's stories and like truly enter into them and create like empathy and understanding came from also, and I like, I'm like, I'm putting this on you, Jonathan, to tell me this wrong, but you also unpacked so much of your own wounding. Absolutely. Very much true. And And this is the same for my brothers and I, like, like, like we, we wouldn't be these kinds of people if we hadn't, didn't have to wrestle with some really painful shit when we were in our teenage years. Yeah. So I think part of this is also realizing we all commit, like we all have these filters and asking where these filters come from. Like what are the backpacks of our own lives that we need to unpack? So how have we come to the values we hold? Like, I love how she talked about, we have this ideology that this is how people act is how we see North Americans act, but that's not actually innate. Mm. Like we are products of our culture and our, the time and the space that we take up. Um, and I think we need to be unpacking that. I don't know. Yeah. This is Yeah. Big time, big time. And if, if we're going in a trauma direction, yeah. there's so many layers. There's again, we say so many layers. Um, We're almost always going in a trauma direction. <laughs> one of one of the fil- one of the questions in internal family systems yeah. that that you ask in uh, in interviewing your parts or your your clients' parts is, um, you know, what are you afraid would happen mm-hmm. if you weren't protecting yourself in this way? Hmm. Protecting Jonathan, protecting the client in this way. This is so. This is what I ask of myself. What are you afraid would happen if we weren't doing this? And this is what I'll ask when I when I encounter like an overactive protector part that's like shutting something down, that's shaming mm-hmm. me in some way, that's you know doing whatever. And it's very interesting what you hear parts say because they're always acting in the interest of preservation. They're always trying to do good by you and keep you alive. And they're like, well, well, there was this time when Jonathan opened up vulnerably to somebody, and this happened. Yeah, and we don't want that to happen ever again. So we don't do this thing anymore. Or, you know, Jonathan admitted about, about how much this means to him, to these people, and he got ridiculed. So um, so we just don't really share those passions anymore, you know? And, and so it's like, what is what are you afraid would happen? And I think that's a really an interesting question that, that we could choose to dialogue with other people on, you know, like, okay, you seem really, uh, you seem really fired up about this. Um, you seem really concerned about CRT, about reparations, about... Um, even about even choosing to have a conversation about LGBTQ inclusion in church. Mm-hmm. What are you afraid would happen if we sat down to have a conversation? Yeah. And, and, I, and, but, but moving to a place of, of genuineness and asking that question, because it's very easy to ask that question from a place of snark, yeah. which is not a fruit of the spirit, my friends, wow. <laughs> but to act to actively, like, I think that example you, you shared is so relevant because I've witnessed from proximity, not, my personal experience, but I've witnessed from proximity, the, the trans community being persecuted and attacked by the gay and lesbian community. Mm. Because like you said, when you haven't been given as a person of color, when you haven't been given space to thrive and own the Imago Dei in you and be a human of worth and dignity, when another group comes along and asks for the same, yeah. it's complex. It is. And you may want to give them that dignity, but none of us can give something we haven't first received. 
And so there's layers of that in terms of society needing to give us valid gifts, ourselves needing to give us valid gifts, needing to see that God has given us valid gifts. Like there's all these layers that are interwoven Mm -hmm. and that that are all of value and import. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, if, if we're not doing our work, it's really hard. Mm -hmm. I think is the bottom line. I, I completely agree. And so I really do think there's a part where it starts with us. Yeah. 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 This is good. Wow. Whew. <laughs> I need to go and have a bath now or like sauna or decompress or just like fold laundry. <laughs> I love the folding laundry is somehow therapeutic to you. I have no desire to do that. I still have a pile of laundry sitting from like five days ago in our bedroom. and no shame in it there's no shame no shame friends thank you for joining us once again trifina thank you for bringing your full self well thank you jonathan for sharing and for being a safe space to have this conversation that's it let me know what you think at jonathan puddle on all the social media channels if you want to support the show i would love it patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. You can sign up for $3 a month or $30 a year or give whatever you like. And it's sure a blessing to me and is the best way that you can support the work that we do here on the podcast. Thank you, Trifina. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for being here. And uh, in about two weeks, there will be a fresh interview. Oh, and I'm so excited. I'm not going to tell you who it is just in case it doesn't happen, but... I am really excited to bring you a heartfelt faith and doubt and the faithfulness of God, even while we try to reject him kind of conversation. That's what's planned for two weeks from today here on the podcast. God bless. Much love. Grace and peace to you all.